Welcome to the ADS Podcast. This is where we talk about all things audience development for the arts related. Join us for discussions about audience building tips, ideas, concepts, and philosophies with sometimes brought in special guests. And now, here's your latest podcast for you. This is Shoshana from Audience Development Specialists, and today we have a very special guest for our ADS podcast. We are inviting Ron Evans from Group of Minds to the show, and we are going to be talking about the barriers of attendance and talking about specifically, is price a barrier and should it be treated as such? So we are going to welcome Ron to the show any minute now, but I'd like to actually dive into the topic before he comes on the podcast. And the reason being is I feel that, and there are a lot more barriers to attendance than just cost. And in our industry today, for some reason, it seems like we're focusing more on trying to figure out the pricing to get more people to attend more than any other barrier. And there is a sense that in terms of discounting the arts too much, we might be formatting a value point for the arts that we don't want to have. And again, we're gonna dive more into the pricing issue, but I wanna talk about the other barriers first. So back in 2015, the NEA did a report uh, that they sent out into the atmosphere and part of it was why do people attend the arts and they talked about both the motivations and the barriers and so the barriers that uh, they found were 47 percent said time 38 percent said cost 37 percent said access and 22 percent said no one to go with so cost is only one of the reasons that people are not, may not attend an arts event. So the heavy hitter, 47% time, and most of these are equal weight anyway, but 47% time, which means that either they're too busy in their lives or we are not having the event at times that people can actually attend. So we need to start looking at that and getting get to know our audiences, both existing and potential, to find out the right times to start events. And this means that you will need to dive deep into the demographics and the psychographics of your audience members. So if you have like a lot of professionals, that is going to dictate some of the best times for starting and having an event. Uh, if you have a lot of older generation people, that also needs to be a consideration with time. If you have a lot of families, and especially young family members, what time can they actually attend a performance? So you need to figure out where your audience is and who your audience is, who you want your audiences to be, and then ask them, ask these particular segments what time is best to start, and that is going to give you guidance as to when and even how to program. You want to consider time as a barrier. And then 37% access. That means that getting to the event and even getting a ticket to the event and maybe getting to services during the event, everything that is considered the audience member having to access in order to be a part of that event. So. 
you want to look at all of those details because a lot of grumblings happen and it might be out of your hands, but it may not. You may be able to control some of the things that they're grumbling about and you want to look at those particular barriers and, and get rid of them as much as possible. So once it's easy to get a ticket, once it's easy to get parking, when it's easy to travel to the, the event space, the venue, then it's going to just get rid of that 37% altogether and, and that's going to increase attendance, no brainer. 22% no one to go with. Now this I think should be higher and the reason being is the top motivator for going to an arts event is 73% is to socialize with friends or family. So I'm, I'm really surprised only 22% said no one to go with. I think if people really thought about it, that one's going to be a little bit higher percentage. And we see it all the time. We see people that they really want to attend, but because like their partner doesn't want to go with them or they can't find a friend, they end up falling through the cracks and not attending the event. So what can we do to focus on getting rid of that barrier? There's lots of things we can be doing. I'm excited to see some solutions out there already. There are dating programs. There are more uh, group-friendly programs out there. There are meet, meet your friends in your young professional realm uh, groups that are happening. Just we're starting to form the mentality that arts can be a solution to start connecting people again. Because in our world right now, I think people do feel rather disconnected and, and the arts can be a big solution to getting people together again, especially since that's one of their top reasons for attending events is to socialize. So what can we do and let's get creative up about this and let's come up with some really good unique program solutions in order to get rid of that, that barrier. So the last barrier on this list. 38% cost, and we're going to go into that with Ron, but before that, I want to jump back into the motivations, which also you can turn on its head as a barrier, because if we're not doing these things to that people want to be motivated by to attend the arts, then that actually turns into a barrier of why they may not be attending. So 64% was to learn new things. And so if we're not providing new programs, new ways of looking at the art form, new experiences for learning about the art form, new hands-on experiences for all the people that love to learn that way, we are actually creating a barrier because people want that type of experience to learn new things. 63% to experience high-quality art. And I'm sure that... There's a lot of high quality out there, but maybe people are unaware of that. And we need to actually bump up our high quality marketing and high quality audience development in order for them to get to realize that you will be experiencing high quality art if you come here. So let's work on that barrier. 51% to support the community. So this one goes both ways. The audience member wants to support the community and if they feel that you are an arts organization or an artist that supports the community too, it's a no-brainer. It's a win-win situation. It'll make them feel really good to attend your event because they know that you're a solid part of their community. So that means to me, if 51% to support, and we are losing audiences these days, in order to bring more people into the experience, this is where we need to start looking at how we are supporting the community. 
So it's kind of a, a situation that maybe you are supporting the community and there's not enough awareness around the fact that you are tied into the community. But my feeling is if you are supporting the community and you really are part of the community fabric, people are going to know about that and then they're going to want to support you. So let's just think about it's a great time to evaluate what you were doing in the community. Maybe you could do a little bit more. Maybe you could tweak it so it is a, a situation that you're becoming a solution for the community where it will be no doubt that people are going to, to know that you're a part of the community fabric and want to support you in that process. So that are the, those are the big motivators for attending. And I think if we look at both the motivators and the barriers, we are going to increase attendance if we focus on the solutions. So now I want to bring Ron to the show. And uh, Ron is one of my favorite people in the industry. And one of the reasons is, is we're both psychology geeks. I have psychology in my background, and he definitely does. So let me introduce him first. Ron Evans, as principal consultant at Group of Minds, he uses the science of behavioral psychology to encourage and reward positive customer behaviors. He designs experiments that challenge assumptions in marketing, fundraising, and customer experience, and teaches organizational leaders his process. His current interests include studying the ways arts patrons make decisions, feel loyalty, and are impacted by social influences of their peers. He is an affiliate member of both the American Psychology Association and the Society for Consumer Psychology. And his biography goes on from there, and I will provide a link for you to learn more about Ron and his company group of minds. So now we're going to get into the pricing part of the conversation, and let's bring Ron to the ADS podcast. Okay, so let's welcome Ron Evans of Group of Minds to the ADS podcast. Hi, Ron. How are you? I am doing very fine. Thanks so much for having me here, Shoshana. I follow your work, and uh, it's an honor to be on your podcast. Great, and I've been following your work, too, over the years, and I'm very excited to have you on. As some of you may know, if you have followed Ron Evans' Group of Minds, uh, he basically is a mastermind of bringing psychology to the arts. And so today I had mentioned about the barriers of attendance, and I wanted to talk a little bit about price with Ron. So, Ron, do you think that price is a barrier for attendance? For some people, absolutely. Uh, not for everybody, though. The, the weird thing that I see most with some of uh, the people I work with is there seems to be a bias that price is the first thing that people consider. Hmm. And that's not necessarily true. And why are your thoughts going with that answer? Well, you think about it. Um, I don't actually know why arts organizations decide to adjust the price as the first thing. It's like, it's like that's the panic thing to go to when the tickets are not selling. It must be because the tickets are too expensive. And I love to challenge people to think, is that the case? Or is that what we think is the case? I mean, for some people, uh, making that decision to purchase at that price is not a big deal at all. It's much less that they would spend for for anything else. Uh, but for other people, price definitely is a barrier. Um, I think it's more about your audience members and trying to segment them out so that we're giving the right message to the right audience. I agree. And I think that we need to go to the audience directly to ask them 
uh, what is the price for them that they would purchase a certain event. So um, I think a lot of people are missing the opportunity to actually ask that question in their surveys. And um, lo and behold, when I did a couple surveys and I, I did post this question, and there seems to be a sweet spot at $25. So it's it's not the fact on where it is, you mean, or different uh, different genres? Different genres. Theater? So I did theater, dance, and orchestra. And uh, $25 out of all of them tended to be a sweet spot where people were very comfortable in paying $25 for an arts event. Mm-hmm. So I think we do need to rethink whether or not we need to go uh, – free or need to go uh, discount if we price the auditorium correctly. Yeah, I mean, people are expecting a certain thing for that $25. It may be a certain type of experience. They, Some people may think that's a premium experience. That's a lot of money to spend. And other people may think that that is uh, a very small amount to spend in going to the theater. In your research at these venues, did you find any correlation with age or any other factor on finding this $25 sweet spot? Actually, age was not a factor. What was a factor was whether or not the show was familiar um, versus whether it was brand new to them. Mm. So there was a little bit of nervousness if it was a brand new show. Well, yeah, that's risk. It is risk. So the, even that $25 is like, well, maybe I paid $10 for a new one, <laughs> which is a little concerning. But um, I think the more that we can introduce something new to them, the more that they would feel comfortable paying that $25 sweet spot or more, depending on the situation. Let me ask you this, Shoshana. Have you ever been really hungry and while you were sitting there trying to figure out where you wanted to go, it became harder and harder to decide where to go the more and more hungry you got? Yes, that is a, that's a good point. Yeah. And definitely because there's so many options out there and that's part of the problem. And the the stakes are going up. No pun intended since we're talking about food. (laughs) Uh, But as, as I get hungrier and hungrier, the chance that my meal is going to suck, you know, that becomes a bigger deal to me. What if it doesn't, satiate my hunger. Now, we know logically that we can go and get something else if we were still hungry afterward, if there was a portion size or something like that. But when you say that you found some connection between, uh, not between age and price, but between um, whether they were familiar with the work or not, I think your research is pointing at the difference between price being a barrier and risk being a barrier. Because price means I can't pay it for whatever reason, or I'm not willing to pay it. Risk is similar, but it's I would pay that $25 if I have some assurances that this performance is going to be worth that $25 in my mind. And that may be where you're thinking, where you're seeing the uh, familiarity with a show, or at least with the the production quality of that theater company or that symphony. Uh, if one has some connection to that already, that would probably make a difference too. I think you're totally right. And uh, the reason why I am on this bandwagon with you is the fact that people are willing to pay an outrageous amount for a rock concert ticket experience. Mm. And even if they just know the artist, but they've never seen them perform, they will shell out that money for that ticket. 
Yeah, so, absolutely. Right. And sometimes these these uh, artists will play something completely new and they're still paying the big money for that experience. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they have that loyalty built in because they've, they've been kind of engaged with that artist over the years and they feel a part of that artist's um, background that they will then shell out the $100 ticket price. Yes, yes. You've got some sense of loyalty. Um, we've got some emotional connection there. The risk is very low, especially if you know the artist well or you have been to that sort of concert before. Those are all great factors. But look at this. I, I was reading yesterday, there was an article um, online about what people spend on average at Starbucks every year. How much money do you think? Well, I'm thinking, okay, so Starbucks is $5 for a cup of coffee there. And then times seven. Oh, oh, I could sit here and do the math, but go ahead and tell me. <laughs> well, not everybody goes every day. I, I do uh, try to get uh, to a coffee shop as often as I can to power uh, power group of minds. But um, you're right. They've got expensive items. Um, I'm kind of an iced coffee drinker myself with nothing in it. So um, I'm pretty boring as far as that goes. So I'm like two ninety five. <laughs> but what they found out is that over a year, the average American spends eleven hundred dollars. Oh, my Lord. At Starbucks, the average American that goes to Starbucks. Now, that might be different if they go to a different kind of coffee chain or an independent or uh, pricing might be slightly different around the country. But remember, that's average, which means that there's a lot of people that are spending way more than that on the other end of the spectrum. Now, and you're thinking that $25, $50, et cetera, is a hard financial choice for people. Well, we're very bad uh, psychologically at long-term things. We react in the short term. So I can see some stress there. Um, but for some people, that's just, it. it's not uh, it's not going to be a barrier unless they really think that it's not going to be a good experience. And we have some ability of controlling that perception of the price. When we do things like discount or give away free tickets, what are we doing to the price? We're messing with it. We're messing with the perception of the quality of that. And you and I have had some great conversations about that at the NAMP conference and other places we've gotten together. That is true. The value of the arts, it's been on top of my mind lately, just valuing the arts for arts advocacy. Because we are in the fight for our lives for Save the NEA and and for other grants and, and other types of monetary support for the arts. And I would say that, I don't know, we had, I, I had an, opposite point of view at one time in my arts career thinking that free could be good and there's reasons why it could be good and and ways that you can use free in order to build loyalty however i feel that if you are going to do free you will need to follow up and you will need to use that audience development of, of bringing them from free to discount to full price ticket to more and more. And I think there's a lot of people out there that are using free to get the new people in, and that's great. But are they following up? Are they offering them a discount ticket at that point? Are they offering a full price ticket if they use the discount ticket? So it's just a matter of using free as a, a sequence of events that need to happen in order to build the audience. Yeah. 
there's some interesting connections between trial and free. Uh, do you go to Costco ever? Do you have Costco out there in Colorado? Yes, we do have Costco. Right. So you can make a whole meal of like going around and trying the little samples at Costco. <laughs> right. So true. So this is trial. This is uh, Costco does it very well. Where they'll get some uh, Hillshire Farm sausage or something on a toothpick mm-hmm. and you can sample that thing. And it's great. Now, the problem is we don't normally sample a small part of a performance. We usually give away the whole performance. Now, you don't see Costco handing out full things of Hillshire Farm sausage to everybody as they're walking in the door. You only get a trial. So if we, for example, let people see the first 10 minutes of a performance and then they were kicked out, now we're talking. That's trial in the true sense of the word. But what it ends up being kind of like is like the free couch on the side of the road. Like if you want a couch that looks like that, okay, it's there for a reason and it's free. And we probably have some expectations about the quality of that couch. But if that same couch next week now has a $25 sticker on it and it looks like the same couch, it smells like the same couch, I'm going to have a hard time paying for that couch when I know that just a week ago it was free. And so if you could segment things so that trial has, I like to put some sort of a other weight on trial. Like if I'm going to give you something, I want something in return. I'm going to let you try a performance. You got to give me something back. You got to fill out a survey. You got to give me your contact information. You got to uh, give me feedback on the performance or tell a friend or something. I want something back so that there's right. a trade. Right. And people want to give something back, but very few organizations ask for that. So I generally don't give away things for free. Um, trial is, uh, you know, there is some room for trial, but it's really hard to split up a performance in the same way that Costco does. Yeah, that is true. And a couple comments about that. The only time that I actually buy from a free sample at Costco or any other grocery store is if it's ultimately the most melt-in-my-mouth delicious experience that I have to go buy the product. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're just stuffing your face with stuff that's there and you don't really give a second thought whether or not you're really going to buy that product half the time. Mm-hmm. It may be kind of a top of mind thing that they're doing or an introduction and that's true, but do they follow up at the grocery store? It's very rare when they ask you to get your email or anything of that nature when they're sampling uh, sausages or something. <laughs> but the good, the good news is, is you can actually... Even with the free, I've been always telling my clients, if you're going to go free, if you really feel like you want to build an audience besides the follow up, then make sure you treat it like a ticket, like any other ticket. Mm -hmm. So they have to sign up with their email. They have to give that information online in order to attend. I agree. I agree. There's some different performing arts organizations that are playing with this idea. You, many, uh, the most common one is like pay what you can. Mm-hmm. There are some other organizations that do pay what you think it's worth, which is an interesting, uh, yeah, setup. interesting. So Stockton ARC in the UK, um, has, is trialing that out right now. So there's no risk. Uh, people can go in and you don't pay up front. You only pay at the end of the performance mm-hmm. on the way out and you can pay nothing. Or you can pay a thousand pounds if you think that it was the most spectacular performance and it moved you. You have the choice there to do it. And they've putting like several different types of shows up and trialing this over a long period of time. So 
I don't know how they do the transaction at the end of the theater. I think people probably just want to go home. So I'm curious how they make that smooth. I mean, if they've got a ton of people with iPads or something selling those tickets. That's uh, for, yeah, but for envelopes on the chair or something. Something. I mean, yeah. I mean, at least you wouldn't have some credit card charges or something. But there's a difference between pay what you can, which is like a charity thing, right? It's pay what, I, what I'm able to pay and pay what you think it's worth which is now an artistic judgment. And so there's there's people that are messing with this and, and trying to take away all the risk, reversing all the risk, so right. that it can just go and uh, not have to not have to sit there and consider is it really going to be worth that $25? Let's move that decision to the end. And it's a fascinating place that some theater companies are playing with. Yes, and it, the good news is it's more than theater companies that are doing this now. Um, I have seen some orchestra and dance companies also try it. And I will say that I myself have experimented with it a couple times with my clients. And, um, How did it turn out? Well, for example, we have uh, Helander Dance Theater did a pay what you can. And we turned out raising the same amount of money as we did as we would selling tickets. So it actually didn't, it didn't uh, give us any positive gain, but we didn't lose anything in the process either. Mm -hmm. And there were more new people at the, the experience. So that I thought was a win-win just based off of that. We have a lot of new people because it does take away the risk to see a new product. And the other thing that I did was more like a sliding scale, which I don't see very many people doing. Now, I know I was at a workshop where you had basically told us that it's good to give three different prices, and then normally people choose the one in the middle. Was that correct? Yeah, I think the example was about Coca-Cola at the time. But, uh, yeah, uh, often the highest price one kind of sets your mind. We call it the anchor Right. And you right. see that and you respond to that such that the other prices seem a lot more affordable in comparison. Right. So what we did is we did a sliding scale fee. This is kind of interesting for the blind cafe and the blind cafe is actually a dinner and concert experience rolled into one. So the price of the ticket is a little bit pricier than most events because of that. And we did start it off at twenty five dollars. And then we scaled it up to $75, which was the normal price for the experience. And then we had a $95 ticket because we're like, what the hey, let's try it. So we did those three price points. And it fell along the lines of what I'm seeing other people state, that the majority was the middle price, the $75, because after we explained all that they're getting, a lot of people were like, you know what, it is valued at $75. So we were trusting people to do the value. Some people did $25 tickets, a lot of college students, so we did find the younger people uh, do the $25 tickets, uh, especially in the university towns. And then the $95 ticket, believe it or not, because we put it out there, about, you know, 1% to 3%, which is also around the marketing standards for this type of pricing, we were able to get some $95 tickets. And we did consider that kind of like a, an extra value ticket. So um, we did, did you give get those, more at that, at they that amount? did give a little bit more to their experience um, for that price point, but a lot more people did the $95 than we thought. It was pretty exciting. So actually trusting your audience members is kind of a good thing. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, no, people aren't stupid. I mean, people can react to the things we put out there. And I, I'm, for the record, I'm hip to different price points for, you know, age 30 under 30 or special pricing for students or student rush or whatever, because we're not just taking the regular ticket and then heavily discounting it. That ticket is there for a reason. And it's there to fulfill some goal that the theater company has, like increasing access to performances for a certain age range or students or something like that. It's not a discounted off the main. That's just what the regular price is. Right. And so that it may be uh, seats sitting next to each other, but it's easy for people to go, oh, OK, that, that makes sense. Um, it's not uh, I'm not going to sneak in as a student when I'm not. I mean, I guess somebody would, but sometimes it's hard to check those things at the door. Um, but when there's an excuse, there's a reason for it. Rather than just like a fire sale, it's uh, it's a lot more palatable. Right. And I, I do trust the audience with those uh, types of uh, segmenting pricing as well. Mm-hmm. So what do you think about pricing your season from show to show? Uh, what are we talking? Theater? Anything, anything that has a season ticket, because I'm finding that that actually, I mean, some of them do already. Some of them like for orchestra and dance nutcracker, you've got to like price those tickets a little bit higher because that's your bread and butter for the most part. But, um, do you think that people are taking advantage of this type of pricing enough? Well, the, it's a good question. The, the, the commentary right now is that subscriptions are falling all over the place. And depending on the research report that you're looking at, that is showing true as well. Um, the theory behind that hypothesis is that people rather have their convenience of deciding to go or not to go at the last minute uh, instead of signing up far in advance and locking those dates in and getting the discount at that point. Now, Season subscriptions have a special place uh, in my heart or my brain or someplace. I'm not super happy with them. The way they were originally designed, you go back a couple hundred years, the subscription idea was so that the theater company, or you know, in this case, any sort of performing arts company, could have some money in advance in order to produce the shows that nobody knew they wanted to see yet. So like new works. Right? Mm-hmm. So um, not every show is Fiddler on the Roof. Um, there's some shows that uh, are going to be new to audiences. And since audiences are likely to feel risk with those shows because they haven't experienced them before, as your research pointed out, um, the idea was let's let people support the theater company by buying a subscription and buying all these tickets in advance. But somewhere along the line, uh, beginning of the 20th century, maybe a little bit earlier, it switched over to like this buy five, get one free kind of thing, where the (laughs) discount, the bulk itself, became a commodity that we're buying these tickets in bulk, and therefore we deserve a discount. Mm -hmm. And so the whole thought that a season subscription is like a philanthropic idea is gone, and most people will only respond uh, to what they're given, and most arts organizations only give them a discount because that's what everybody else is doing. So I, I would love to ask all arts organizations, I'd love to challenge arts organizations, what kind of incentives can you add to a season subscription that have nothing to do with price? I totally agree. Oh my Lots gosh. Lots of things you could do. 
I totally agree. Uh, one of the things that I try to challenge uh, people to do is to ask their audience members what they truly think is a benefit. Mm-hmm. And half the time, half the time, the audience members are like, oh, yeah, price, whatever, maybe I get parking. But there might be an actual benefit that they really would enjoy that could be part of the subscription benefit package. And it's going to be different for all different audiences. It's not going to be the same. So what I've been seeing out there when you do your research is everybody's kind of have the same subscription format, the same tired benefits, and most of the audience members are kind of like yawning at these benefits now. Yeah. They're not finding it as, as great as they used to be. Because the focus that if you look at that ad, right, what's the biggest thing that grabs your attention in all those ads? Save 35% or whatever right. it is. But right. It doesn't have to be. And I'm not saying you don't have to give a discount for season subscription, although I'd love to see more arts organizations playing around with subscriptions with no discounts. Exactly. Um, and messing with the idea that this is a way to support the theater um, and guarantee the best seats and all those other kind of, as you said, there are some definitely some tired uh, subscription benefits, but just because everybody else is doing it doesn't mean that you have to do it the same way. And you bring up a great point that your audience is very responsive about the types of benefits that they would be interested in and dining, um, parking, uh, special access to artists. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff you could do. Oh, definitely. And I want to say one thing is, I think I mentioned this in another podcast because it was apropos to that one, too. But when I was doing subscriptions one year for an orchestra, I had a couple callers that called in subscribers and they were like just amazed at the discounts. And they kept asking me, don't you need the money? And <laughs> yes, so, so yes for God's sake, we need the money, please. Yes, yes. So, I mean, <laughs> discounting it kind of doesn't make sense to discount for the most loyal people in in that that sense. It might be better to give them different benefits than a discount because the loyal people want to support you. Yeah. And so I always say, and I've, I've written this out there, I don't, I haven't seen too many people actually do this, but why not have a full price subscription that is treated more like a donation? Yes. Yes. So true. They donate the difference of the value of the subscription, but they're paying the full price. I love it. No, that, it brings up a perfect point. Let's say, Shoshana, I'm a $1,000 donor to your organization. I'm going to give you $1,000. Why are you then giving me back part of that money in what I'm not paying <laughs> for the tickets, right? Exactly. That's silly. And, and to me, it's not really important. So if there, maybe there's a type of subscription that is there that doesn't have a discount and it's for people like me. Right. And you know that I'm not motivated financially uh, to give or to not give. So, again, it's it's about responding to the audience members as individually as you can. I mean, ideally, we would have a personal connection with every audience member that walks in through that door. And for a small organization, you got 100 seats or something. Even that's hard to do. Imagine like 2000 seat theater or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why we use technology to try to leverage that those relationships and we segment people into different buckets and we try to watch their behavior and give them marketing messages that are based on how we think they're going to respond. As long as we're constantly testing that uh, assumption, those assumptions about those people uh, and making changes to the plan based on the data that are coming in, 
that's going to lead to success. But when we just kind of fire and forget and blast that list, that 4,000 people on it with the same message, and it's got a big discount on it, I'm, I'm just going to go crazy. That is true. <laughs> so we, pulls my hair out. we are like, yeah, you just did a mic drop there. <laughs> oh. So I want to, Shift gears and talk about that 50% off that you kind of alluded to at mm. one point. The half price uh, ticket. The half price ticket, which could be viewed as half price, 50% off, or two for one. So I always, if I do use this method, I always try to do it as two for one. So it's a bring a friend type of situation. So there's at least some audience development there. And then you follow up with the, with the friend. You, you make sure that you get the friend information as well. And then you're able to follow up with the person that supposedly got the free ticket or the 50% off that may not have attended before. It's a, it's a great idea. Let, let me play. I'm going to play the small uh, symphony role here. Okay. But Shoshana, it's too hard to get everybody's address. Like, they're coming in quickly and stuff. What would you say to those people? I would say that if you want to get the discount, then we do need to be able to have that email address. Absolutely. Don't be afraid to ask. And if you need to get somebody else there, um, get a volunteer in there to meet those people to grab that information. If you need to incentivize those people in the moment, why not? Try it. I'm up for anything as an experiment. As long as you could show me that you have set some goals and you're measuring what's going on and you're going to try it out. I, you know, you could set people on fire just about for an experimental result and I'll be hip to it. But when it's just, uh, this is the way we've done it and we're not willing to make changes on our end to gather that information or try to improve the situation. That's tough. You're, you're going to have a much harder time getting to success that way. That is true. And I would also say that if you are going to do the typical 50% price tickets, especially if you're using a, a broker of some nature, I won't name any here, but there's plenty out there that do the 50% off tickets mm-hmm. that if you really need to do a follow-up program in conjunction of that. Otherwise, you will have people falling through the cracks. You will have people only valuing your ticket at the 50% discount. Not only that, but let's remember I was that $1,000 donor and the full price uh, subscriber just a couple minutes ago. And ding, I get an email from one of these brokers. And there's an offer for the Shoshana dance company at half price. <laughs> what, what the, how, how is just about anybody going to react to that? Right. They're going to think I'm a chump for paying the full price. I mean, many people will. Some people will have the presence of mind to go, well, they're trying to get new people and maybe it's not the best seats or something like that. But we don't have control over that at brokers. We cannot only send that email to people that are not on our list. So we have to be really careful about that message and the risk that we're putting it out there and potentially alienating people that are behaving in the way that we want them to behave, which is to not pay half price. That's a very good point. Yeah, I could see that donor going, oh, that's where my money's going to <laughs> Down the toilet, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that's an interesting point right there. But two for one. Look, I love two for one, way better than half off. Why? Because you're there with a buddy, right? Even if 
the performance stinks and you never want to go there again, your experience is going to be tempered by the fact that you're there with somebody that you like. I mean, you usually don't take somebody that you don't like. Uh, I guess a date could turn out really badly and the performance is bad. And then the dog threw up or something. It'd be the worst night ever. Um, But if you're there and you are experiencing that with somebody else, even a bad performance is going to be rated later as a better uh, performance in your mind because you had somebody there to experience it with. So whether or not you give those tickets out, if it could be given for uh, the ability of bringing somebody, it's really important. Or, you know, two for one, if you donate a can of food to the food bank or some sort of reason behind it. And there's, there's actually some, uh, you probably run into this there too. There are some free organizations as well that will just take your tickets and put them out there in the world for free. And, sometimes charge a surcharge on top of that. So you're getting nothing. They're taking a surcharge. Now, that's really going to make me pull my hair out most of the time. <laughs> but there are some excuses uh, that make sense. Like there's an organization called Vet Ticks, for example. And Vet Ticks uh, don't, is a, they're a third party that will take uh, free tickets given by an organization and distribute them to veterans. Oh, very nice. Yes, we have organizations in our town. One's called Arts Reach that mm-hmm. that donates to various nonprofit charity social causes. And we also have a um, organization called Circle of Care that people can donate or arts organizations can donate tickets to them and they take underserved seniors to the concerts. Yes. So, yeah, I love that there's, idea. There's, there's some good stuff happening there, right? There's some charity happening there. Um VetTix has also built into their process the expectation that the person taking that free ticket write a thank you to the arts organization and to include a photo of them at the event. So that broker is is trying to create a thank you and, and wrap that experience up into something a lot more meaningful than just, uh, well, we put somebody in that seat and I guess we couldn't sell that ticket at full price. And there's a reason behind that. So and there's another reason it's good for grants. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Those things are fantastic. So there's nothing wrong with having a portion of tickets that are set aside for different groups of people that you want to encourage to attend. Um, it's just if I could if I could plant one thing in the mind of everybody that prices their tickets, I would say, you know what? Um, don't be hungry when you're pricing your tickets. Don't be tired. Don't be emotional. Don't make big changes in the pricing of the tickets based on emotions like fear because time is running out. Um, if you're in that situation already, then it's best to try to figure out how you're going to not do it that way in the future. Um, but that's where we get into real problems is when um, fear makes people make those sorts of decisions at the last minute, which can undo a lot of hard work by marketing folks on establishing that value in the perception of the audience. That's true. And what what tends to happen is people get used to the last-minute discount, and they will hold off buying their ticket until that comes through. Yeah, absolutely. That's so, again and again. Yeah, so having, if, you, if you establish that pattern, then people are just going to constantly buy at that discounted price or hope to get a comp ticket. So we're kind of going towards the next question, which isn't really a question, but it is to comp or not to comp. That is the question. And I would say that I would use comps in very strategic ways. So not only in the way that you mentioned 
in terms of having it have meaning um, as far as maybe donating to a social cause, it looks good for grants, etc. But I would also say that you can use the comps to build relationships with key people in your community and especially people that you want to get into your sponsorship and donor world. And you can use these as a way to introduce them to your organization and then follow up in the future to get them on board. So I've, I've been pretty successful in using comps in that fashion. For example, we were trying to get a pretty big corporation in our area on board. It was one of the biggest corporations in, in our area at the time. And they donate to several good causes already, so we're hoping to be part of that. Mm-hmm. And um, what we did is we built the relationship over about half a year's time. I sent some comps out. We invited them to come and, and speak with them at the concert. And then I would follow up with a phone call, and then I would email to set up a visit with them, and then I actually visited with their one of their public relations people and set up a, a really amazing sponsorship program that also included a group sales program. Mm. So these comps actually paid for themselves because we built the relationship using these comp tickets. And then after that, they ended up helping sell tickets. And for the very first concert that they started as a sponsor, they sold 50 tickets beyond the 10 comps that we gave them. Nice. So I think that there there is a way to use comps. And if you're using comps to bring new people in, like I mentioned before, there has to be a follow-up program with these people because the people get used to a free ticket if you don't follow up with them. But if you follow up with them and introduce them to more of what you're doing at, at the regular prices, then they'll know that that the comp was was mainly just to treat them as the king and queen that they are <laughs> and to hope that they will will come on board as a patron. Sure, sure. Now, that's really interesting. I'm glad you've got some follow. It's, I wish every organization could have the follow-through that you just described because that's amazing. Um, let's think about it, though. A comp is only a comp if we tell people it's a comp. Interesting. Where am I going with this? So yeah. let's say... <laughs> Let's say I want to read. It's all about what needle you want to move, right? You want to engage the people that aren't engaged at all. You want to get people who already know about it to come more often. And you have that choice. And different organizations choose different needles that they're trying to move. But let's say I want to reach new people that are moving into the area. So I want to give some comps out. And so I reach out to real estate people and I give them some comps. Now, the real estate person knows that they can provide that to their clients who have just moved into the area. Mm-hmm. And the real estate person doesn't have to say that they're free tickets. They could just say, hey, you know, uh, I got some friends down at uh, this performing arts organization. Let me hook you up. I'm going to get you some tickets. Well, don't have those tickets say free. They could be just because of the clout of that real estate person. Uh, interesting. Right? And so they think the real estate person bought the tickets. Yeah. So it's just, it, it's, it's only because we tell them that. And if we can avoid in any way planting that thought that that ticket is free in the mind of the person and that maybe, I don't know how that, that real estate person got the tickets. It must be because they're so well connected or some other reason. 
And that's not the only way you can do it. There's many ways. But I, I throw that as an example of how you could use comping in a way that might be uh, taking that thought away of free from the um, from the audience member because it's it's really hard to separate free from low value. And any way we can do that, let's go for it. Yeah, I, I think that's a great idea. So just to summarize and to, to pull this all together is we talked about we need to trust our audiences and, and actually partner with them to get their thoughts on pricing and benefits for any subscriptions, uh, things of that nature. We talked about that it's better to experiment than just go free or discount based off of emotions, mm -hmm. uh, fears that you could actually be having empty seats, etc. And we also talked about there's there's a way to comp that actually will be beneficial and there's a way to comp that actually devalues the ticket. Is there anything else you'd like to add to this conversation before we say goodbye? Well, I'm sad to say goodbye, right? I know. Good chat. But <laughs> I would say, you know, um, all of you arts organizations out there, it's your choice. You don't have to do it a certain way just because the arts organization down the block is doing it that way. Do it in a way that works for you. And the way you figure out how it works for you is uh, you hire somebody like Shoshana or myself. No, um, <laughs> you figure out what's important to your people that attend there. And through experimentation, you make changes over time. And if you do that, you will get to what works for you. So I don't want you just don't want you to feel like you have to do it a certain way um, or because everybody else has a subscription. Your subscription has to do the same way. We are the most creative people in the world. We run the arts. We are creativity personified. So let's use that creativity in our marketing and make those decisions based on data that we figure out for ourselves. Exactly. And also base the decision off of audience feedback that, which is the data that you're talking about. Yeah. Um, but to definitely have those conversations with your, with all of your constituents for your arts organization and your art business. Um, that's great. I think that's a wrap. I want to thank you, Ron, for joining us in the ADS podcast family. Oh, I'm glad yeah. to be part of the family and happy to come back anytime. Thanks so much for putting this together. All right. Thank you. Take care. It's always great to talk with Ron, and uh, you just witnessed how geeky we are together in terms of psychology, audience development, and arts marketing. And I hope our conversation gives you some inspiration to make sure that you're valuing yourself in the process of dealing with the barriers and the motivators for arts attendance. So that is our ADS podcast today, and thank you for attending today. And if you have any questions, comments, and feedbacks, and you want to learn more about my world of audience building, please head to buildmyaudience.com. Thanks so much, and have a great day.